Thanks for choosing to listen to another City Point West podcast. I trust that this message empowers and encourages you to continue your journey of faith. Enjoy. Failures, lessons on success. A failures, lessons on success. Uh, during the week, I was cooking and I was cooking with my girl Dusu. And uh, listen, she is a phenomenal cook. She makes wonderful, wonderful food. And uh, we were cooking together and she was making, and I actually thought she'd be upstairs with the youth when I told this story, but she's sitting in the room, so I apologise. And she was cooking uh, chicken wings and decided we're going to crumb chicken wings and chuck them in the deep fryer. Now, my, my statement here was this. My statement was, if we chuck those chicken wings in the deep fryer without parboiling them and already pre-cooking them a little bit, they're going to be just overcooked on the outside or undercooked on the inside. Can I have an amen from somebody that knows what I'm talking about? Dusa refused to believe what I was saying and she said, no, we're just going to crumb it. We're going to stick it straight in. We're going to cook it and it's going to be perfect. And about halfway through cooking it, she realized that on the outside they were overcooked. Now, she is a very, very stubborn woman and refused to say the magic words, you were right. Can I have an amen from somebody that has a child? I figure it's either dyslexia or stubbornness. She's a smart woman, so it's definitely stubbornness. I, I, I coaxed her a number of times to repeat these words, you were right, but she was unable and incapable of such words coming from her mouth. But in the end, we found out that that chicken was a little bit overcooked. She then went on to tell me that in Liberia, that's how it happens and they are overcooked that way, which was her best attempt of saying she was also right. Listen, isn't this the parents' challenge? Trying to show your kids, hey, listen, this is a better way to do it. Now, I can say this safely because all of our kids are in youth or, uh, or in kids' room. The reason we know this stuff is because we messed up a lot can have an amen from a parent that knows what I'm talking about. The reason we know some stuff is because we continually messed up and because we listened to our parents when they told us what to do. Can I have an amen from a liar in the room? Thank you all you liars. We know some stuff because we failed a lot. This is a reality of why we are good at being parents and telling our kids how to do stuff. You do it this way because I didn't and I've got a couple of scars to prove it. You do it this way, and I didn't because I chipped my tooth trying to eat chicken before when I overcooked it that way. This is the reason why we know some stuff as parents. Now, there's a book in the Bible. There was two of them, in fact, First and Second Peter, that were written by a guy that knows some stuff, firstly because he walked with Jesus for three years, but every bit of that time of walking with Jesus, this is the guy that messed up every time. This is the guy that, that, that thought he had it all right when he said, Jesus, you know, you, you are the Messiah. And two seconds later, Jesus is cursing him and saying, hey, get behind me, Satan, because he thinks he's working it out. This is the guy that Jesus said you would, you would deny me. He said, no, I could never do that. I'll follow you wherever. And five seconds later, he's denying Jesus. This guy writes a book, and I feel like it's the book we should read as people and as adults in the room, knowing that this guy's messed up some stuff and he's got some truths for us and truths in our lives. It's like parenting and it's the same when it comes to walking with God. We, we understand some things because we've messed up some things and Peter is like that. 
It's a book full of great truths, great wisdom. And I'm going to spend some time opening up uh, this book of Peter over the coming weeks. We, we had a good time in Colossians a few months ago. And we're going to do the same in 1 Peter. Let's open it up. 1 Peter chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, if not, you can turn to the screens. He says in verse 1, To the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, in Galatia, in Cappadocia, in Asia, and Bith- Bithynia. He says to those that are pilgrims of the dispersion. Listen, to these areas that he's talking about, if you don't know where they are, they are in the middle of modern day Turkey. They're, they're areas that were probably a little bit beyond where the early church had started. But the early church had suffered through incredible challenges, had suffered through, through people turning against them, had suffered through persecution. And what it had caused to happen is that early church dispersed right across the whole region in that area to try and escape this horrendous persecution that was happening. Many people were killed, they were burned at the stake. Many people were, were, were hung on crosses like Jesus. Many of the early Christians were martyred incredibly and others dispersed right over the place. Now, now Peter writes to them and says, hey, to all of you guys that have dispersed right across now modern day Turkey, I want to write to you guys and I want to speak to you from this place of understanding challenge from this place of understanding difficulty, from this place of really, this is 15 to 20 years after Jesus, from this place of understanding what it meant to go through incredible pain. He says, I want to write to you guys and tell you a few things. Who thinks there could be some truths in this scripture? He says in verse 2, Elect, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you, and peace be multiplied. This was a greeting to these guys. Grace to you and peace be multiplied to you guys was a, was a greeting that he had. But listen, he says in the start of verse 1, as the elect. Listen, I, I could take just this verse and I could preach a whole series out of this verse because there's a depth here that, that is really, really profound and really powerful. He says the elect. This is a really big meaning word. It, it talks about uh, being elected by God. Listen, Calvinists over hundreds and hundreds of years have taken verses like this to, to outwork their belief system around Calvinism and, and the fact that God just picks people and others He doesn't love. This is the, the picture that we have here. But we've got to keep reading through this verse to get full context of His election. He says, election according to to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Again, listen, we're taking a deep theological statement right here that has been argued about for hundreds of hundreds of years and I'm going to touch on it for two minutes. Can I do that? Can you try and borrow and loan me your brains for a brief, brief second here? Can I borrow your brains? Can you actually listen to me for a second? I know you already were listening deeply especially the part about kids not listening to you or your parents are still stuck there. Let's move on from that. They don't listen. We know that's the case. We're going to move on into the election that we have through the foreknowledge of God. Why does God have foreknowledge? This is a powerful statement and the best understanding we can have as as beings that have a finite outworking and understanding of our lives. We serve an infinite God. Listen, God isn't 
caught short by time. He isn't held by matter. He isn't held by the situations that we face. We serve an infinite, all-powerful, almighty God. Time, matter, the world we live in are created inside of God. So because of that simple fact, God sees the beginning and God sees the end because He's outside of time. He's not walking in time with us. He's outside of that. In fact, I would say God, a time is inside of God. He sees the beginning. He sees the end. His foreknowledge brings election to bear. He elects out of His great foreknowledge of our decisions. He elects out of His great foreknowledge of the simple fact that you and I have a will and our will sometimes goes against our God, like our, our, par- our kids' wills go against their parents. This is the reality that we do the same. But out of His foreknowledge, we are the elect. You sit in this room out of the foreknowledge of God, you are elect. This is my best understanding that I can bring to you in two minutes of a powerfully deep theological concept. He says, in sanctification of the Spirit for obedience. You know, sanctification, this word here, is also a very deep, profound word. This sanctification speaks of the processes of being brought into a place of holiness into our lives. Listen, we make a decision for Christ. You've been sitting in a room, somebody talks about coming and making a decision to follow Christ. You slip up your hand and you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Somebody prays for you and you bring the life of Christ into you. Has anyone noticed that at that moment you didn't get perfected? Did did anyone get perfected at that moment when somebody prayed for you? If that's you, praise God for you. For the rest of us, we had still a little bit of heathen that tried to hang on to us. Now, maybe you uh, stole three cookies from the cookie jar when you were a kid and you didn't have too much heathen. The rest of us had a lot of heathen we dragged with us. And that process of sanctification was the process of coming and chipping off some heathen. Listen, Pastor Steve is a wonderful man, but there's been some heathen that needed to be chipped off him over time. There's still maybe just a little bit of heathen every now and then. I've seen that man when he gets a little bit cranky. There's a little bit of heathen get chipped. I'm, I'm way more perfect than that. Hey, Pastor Steve. <laughs> This is the process of sanctification. It comes and there's the chipping and the removing and the building holiness and building Christ's likeness into the believer. Now Paul writes to these believers and he speaks to them about being elect. He speaks to them about the foreknowledge of God. And now he says about this process of sanctification and transformation and changing the person's life. Listen, if you're in the room, you made a decision to follow Christ and you're still struggling with a few things, understand that process of sanctification is being outworked in your life. But, but, don't camp over here in our mess. The process of sanctification that Peter's writing to the believers about is a continual transformation process that Jesus wants to do in our hearts and wants to do in our lives. Sometimes we're happy to camp over here in our mess, but Jesus wants to take us through this process of sanctification, bringing us, setting us apart and making us holy in our lives for obedience. Let's come back to the parents because we're parents in the room, lots of us, and our disobedient children and how frustrated we get at those disobedient children. And then let's reflect for a moment how frustrated God gets at us every now and then. I know you were amening me when I talked about your disobedient children, but the amen's got a lot less when I talked about your disobedience in our lives. He says the process of sanctification for obedience. 
Do you realize the Word of God is there to bring us to a place of obedience in our life and outworking who God has called us to be? This is the beautiful process of sanctification to the Spirit for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Can I just say, if there is an unpopular statement in 21st century, it's any time we talk about the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. It seems unpopular. Listen, it was unpopular in Jesus' day as well. When Jesus spoke about people drinking His blood, thousands stopped following Him because they were so pushed by the power that is in the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, we next week, we celebrate Easter Friday. We celebrate the fact that Jesus' blood was shed for me and it was shed for you. And the power that was in the blood of Jesus Christ the power that washes our hearts, the power that washes our lives. Listen, it is the power in the blood of Jesus that brings sanctification to your life. It is the power in the blood of Jesus Christ that draws us to a place of holiness. It is the power in the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away my past and yours. Listen, you may walk in here with a messy, ugly, broken past. The power of the blood of Jesus Christ is enough for your past. It's the sprinkling and the washing and the renewing and the restoring of the beautiful blood of Jesus Christ. Here is the Apostle Peter who walked with Jesus, who witnessed Jesus being hung upon that cross. This guy understood the power of the blood. Now he writes to a group of believers going through hardship and going through challenge and speaks to them about sanctification to obedience because of the great power that comes through the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, that sanctification process doesn't come by any other place because of, other than the fact the blood of Jesus Christ. He says, verse 3, Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy. Anyone grateful for abundant mercy? Listen, I'm not talking a little bit of mercy. Pat, I've known you for a long time, my friend. There needed abundant mercy upon the wonderful Pat. It's abundant mercy. David McDonald. You needed abundant mercy to put up with that son, Tim, all the way through his journey. It's abundant mercy. It's abundant mercy. It's abundant mercy. He speaks here of this abundant, great mercy that stretches out over our lives. It's not a small thing. It's abundant. I'm grateful for abundant mercy. I need His mercies every single day in my life. I need the abundance of mercy. You may be sitting in this room and you may be struggling through life. It's the abundant mercies that stretch out over your life. Abundant mercy. Peter writes here about abundant mercy. He understood abundant mercy. He understood it. So many times he put his foot in his mouth. So many times he failed. So many times he was there thinking he was Jesus' favourite. Next thing he's the mess. He understood abundant mercy and the need for it in his life and the need for it in all the lives of every believer. Listen, you may be sitting here in your Sunday best today feeling pretty good about yourself, but every day you've needed the abundant mercies of Jesus Christ. Who's begotten us again to a living hope. You know, Paul talks about being born again. We see the reality of being born again. 
not, not to a hope that comes from humanity. Listen, humanity is hopeless without the hope from Jesus Christ. You may hope in scientists today. If you do, you are going to be let down big time. Just for example, look at the Bureau of Meteorology has never got the weather right once. You're going to hope in a scientist, you're going to be let down. You're going to hope in a politician. Oh, we're going to vote in great Christian politicians. You're going to be let down. I'm not sure if you voted for our last Prime Minister, that great, wonderful man of God, who maybe let us down once or twice every day. This is a reality <laughs> of our politicians. This is the reality of our scientists. What, what hope have we been born into? Our hope isn't in politicians. It's not in scientists. It's not in people around us. It's not in any of those things. We have been born into a living hope that comes, listen, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter shows us right here. He mixes these two powerful truths that we're about to celebrate next Friday and next Sunday. We're, we're celebrating the blood of Jesus that was shed for our lives and our failure and our mistakes. But we're also celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ that brings apart a, a living hope in our lives. Listen, Jesus isn't dead in a grave. Yes, His blood was shed, but now He rose again and He conquered sin and death. Now, Peter writes to these people, going through hardships, going through challenge, going through difficulty. He speaks to them of the power of the blood of Jesus that washes away yesterday, but he also speaks to them the power of the resurrected Christ that brings alive tomorrow. It's the resurrected Christ that brings a living hope into our lives. Verse 4, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You've been begotten to something. That hope is in something. It's in an inheritance that is incorruptible. Listen, I want to speak to you today of the power a blessing that doesn't come from just your hard work. It doesn't come from the understanding of world economics. It comes, it's the blessing that comes from our God. It's the blessing that comes from His promises that are intertwined through the sprinkling of the blood. His promises that are intertwined through the resurrection from the dead. His, pro His promises that are intertwined with the fact that we have been risen. We have been begotten. We are now connected with a greater inheritance. Listen, I am grateful for natural inheritance, but natural inheritance, nothing on the supernatural inheritance that we are connected with, with thousands of years of promises that are placed for my life, for your life. When we give and we sow, we connect ourselves into powerful promises. When we come into the house and worship, we connect ourselves with powerful promises. When we stop and we pray, we connect ourselves with inheritance that's incorruptible, that's undefiled. Verse 5, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. Listen, if you're in this room and you're a man or woman of faith, you are kept by the power of God through faith. As Deb said before, yes, challenges will come. Yes, difficulty will come. Yes, giants will come. But you are kept by the power of God through faith. It's our faith that connects us to that place of blessing. It's our faith. Listen, we, we, we have to really understand this truth with me for just a moment. It's our faith 
that connects us there. It's our faith that establishes us to that place of salvation and transformation in our life, verse 6 and 7. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honour and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Listen, this is still a key part of Peter's greetings here. And I want you to remember who he is greeting. He is greeting a group of people he called those pilgrims of the dispersion. He is greeting people that have spread right across the understanding of the world that they knew right there. They had spread not, not because they were going to financial uh, wonderful moments, not because they were going to a great new job where I'm getting paid 10 times as much as my last job. They are spread because life has got so difficult where they're living, they need to go and live somewhere else. They are spread because the hardship became so great, now they're heading elsewhere and He greets them again in a wonderful way, talking about the simple fact that though you may go through a few trials. Now listen, I know we sit in the room and we have some genuine trials. We go through some genuine difficult moments. But compared to old mate that's now living in Galatia, because his next door neighbour got burned at the stake for being a Christian, so he, he grabbed his whole family and he ran and left Jerusalem and got to Galatia. Our challenges aren't quite as bad as this guy, right? Now listen, there's no MyGov app app to jump on and, and get some government payments back in these days. Hey, th there's no like ringing up the policeman and saying, can you protect me from the bad people right now? Because the policeman's coming to get you as well. These guys are people that go through some incredible difficulties. And he writes to them and he says, I know you've been grieved by various trials. I know you've been grieved by the difficulty of what's really going on in your life. But understand this, that in this, the genuineness of your faith is being tested. Just like gold gets tested. You know, the testing of gold happens in a fiery furnace. It happens in a place where that gold is chucked in and it starts to melt and the impurities start to come out of it. The testing he's talking about here is the same testing as gold where the impurities start to come out of our lives. Now, now, listen, I'm not talking about the testing you had during the week when you're driving to work and somebody cut you off and the impurities came out of your life because you spoke impurity. That's not the testing I'm talking about and that's not the result I'm trying to say here. This is not, this is not Peter saying, hey, that you start to swear at every loser around you. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, when you go through those testings, the impurities start to come out of your life so that we become more pure. We, we become more molded. We become more shaped and sanctified. This is again that sanctification process that he's talking about. You, you know what? The challenges you've faced over the last couple of weeks are a part of that process. We hate it. I would much prefer the sanctification process to be sitting in a Bible study uh, on, on a Wednesday night. And in that Bible study, we read through the Scripture and wow, 
God, you've changed something in my life. This is beautiful. This is amazing. We have communion together after. Praise Jesus for your fellowship. Amen. That's the, fellow, that's the, that's the sanctification process we like. But remember our kids that didn't listen to us? And then it was the sanctification process that redirected them back to where they should be going. Does anyone know what I'm saying right now? This is the testings and trials that happen because sometimes the Word of God isn't enough. Sometimes it's the trial of life that pushes us back to the truth of the Word of God that God has spoken to our hearts hundreds of times that now brings a change to our lives. If you weren't so stubborn, you wouldn't need so many trials. If you weren't so stubborn, you wouldn't need so much burnt chicken. This is the reality to the challenges we face in life. I, I want to be clear about something. I want to be real clear. Jesus doesn't make your trials. Jesus uses your trials. You know, sometimes, oh, this trial, it's Jesus. No, no. This trial is I told you not to cook the chicken that way, but you cook the chicken like that, and now it's burnt. And now we're eating burnt chicken and now we're going through the trial. But Jesus, you did this to me. No, 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 no. You cooked the chicken the way I told you not to. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? This is life. I'm in this middle of this trial. Listen, I know not every trial is that. I, I know some of you are, are genuinely suffered trials because other people have come and, and, and it's beyond your control. Beyond. But the other stuff, our stuff that we bring ourselves to, God uses that. He uses that in that process, that beautiful process of sanctification to change, to transform, to utterly renew those eras of our life and to bring the change into who we are. Smith Wigglesworth said this, great faith is the product of great fights. Great testimonies are the outcome of great tests. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. Great triumphs can only come out of great trials. Listen, Peter writes to people that are going through great trial and he's encouraging them in a huge way with an understanding of great trials. He went through many. He'd faced many in the years leading up to this, this passage of Scripture, leading up to writing this, and he knew the power of what it meant in their life. And he said, you've been tested by fire, that you may be found to praise, honour and glory in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Isn't it incredible how powerful praise and worship is in the middle of our trial? Praise and worship is easier after the trial, but it's more powerful in the trial. It is easier in the victory, but it's more powerful in the challenge. It's easier in the celebration, but it is more powerful when we're hurting. It's easier when we're excited at the end and we can see what God has done, but it is more powerful when we're broken and we're on our knees and we're begging our way through, but we're still praising anyway. We're still worshipping anyway. We're still declaring anyway. We're still praising Him anyway. It's easier when we're out, but it's more powerful when we're in. And Peter writes to these people in the middle of trial, in the middle of challenge, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of difficulty. And he says that you praise at the glory and the revelation of Jesus Christ. In verse 8, whom having not seen, you love. 
Though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Isn't this amazing? Here's a guy. His name's Peter. He walked with Jesus for three years. Now he writes to people who hadn't seen Jesus in the physical sense. Anyone feel like that? This is us, 2,000 years on. Whom you haven't seen in the physical sense, you still love Jesus. This is us. This is me. This is you. We haven't seen him in the physical sense, but we love him. We've just spent half an hour worshipping him, praising him, singing glory to his name, declaring the power of the name of Jesus. Yet believing you rejoice with inexpressible, uh, with joy inexpressible and full of glory. That was our worship today. Anyone feel like they'll run out of voice by the end of that worship? singing a bit loud my apologies I noticed the guys sticking their inner ears in a lot to try and not hear me today there's a lot of worship going on the house the salvation of your souls Saint Augustine said this faith is believing what you do not see the reward of your faith is to see what you believe I love that I love that let me say it again faith is believing what you do not see the reward of that faith is to see what you believe believe to see what you believe our faith is such a powerful thing verse 10 11 of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that will come to you searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow verse 12 to them it was revealed that not to themselves, but, as, uh, uh, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you, those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. Let, let me just walk this through slowly. He says this, there were prophets that spoke what would happen in the revelation of Jesus. You know, Daniel, in the book of Daniel, in fact, spoke to the year when Jesus would come. Daniel prophesied so powerfully. The, the crazy thing is the religious people that should have read through the book of Daniel and understood Daniel's prophecies missed it. But Magi that came from the place where Daniel was when he wrote that book arrived to see Jesus. Why did they do that? Because they understood the prophecies of Daniel and what Daniel meant when he spoke about the, the Jesus coming. Other prophets continue to speak. If we go into Isaiah 53, it says Jesus would be despised and rejected. Isaiah 25, he would be swallowed up by death. Isaiah 50, they would pull out and pluck out his beard. We see that in the Gospels. They said in Isaiah 22, of the house of David would come. In, in uh, Isaiah chapter 44, that the Spirit of Christ would be poured out. Zechariah talked about him riding in on a donkey, which we celebrate on Palm Sunday in chapter 9. In Zechariah, it says 30 silver pieces would be given in chapter 11 for you in Jesus. Jeremiah says a new covenant would come in Jeremiah chapter 31. Job says, my Redeemer lives in chapter 19. The psalmist writes, oh my God, my God, why have you forsaken me in chapter 22? He says, my mouth is dry in 22. They divided my clothes in chapter 22. 
He says, unto you I commit my spirit. In chapter 31, words that Jesus spoke again on the cross. They conspire against me, chapter 31. They set traps, chapter 38. That vinegar that they put to his mouth on the cross was prophesied in chapter 69. All of these things were the prophets speaking about Jesus coming. Listen, this Jesus that we serve, Peter understood the great power of the prophets of hundreds and hundreds of years speaking of Jesus coming, speaking of what that would mean for our lives. But he goes on further and Peter makes a funny, incredible statement at the end of verse 12. He says, things which the angels desire to look into. Can I just say, I read that during the week and I had to go and read some commentaries to really understand what Peter was trying to say. During reading through commentaries and studying and some great theologians of the past, speaking of what it would mean for the angels to look into Jesus and look into what was happening on the cross and look into what was going on. That, that word to look into actually means to stoop down on a knee and to, and to gaze into and reflect on what was going on. I, I read that and I studied that and... The, the theologians came out with a couple of different pictures of this. Firstly, they said, this understanding of salvation is such a deep, profound thing that the angels are so amazed at the power of God's plan. You have to understand this, that God's plan of salvation that is outworked through the cross, that is outworked through Easter, which we celebrate next week, was laid out from the beginning of time through the foreknowledge of God. It was laid out knowing that, Zach, you would be born and you'd be a bit of a rat bag and you'd meet an angel named Beck who's perfect in all ways. And you need to encounter the grace of God. And a plan for salvation was laid out and the angels are going, wow. Francis, you also would meet a beautiful Beck. Again, perfect in all ways. You a bit of a mess. She's awesome. And wow, there's a plan for salvation. And the angels are going, oh my goodness, God, you saw something in Francis when we didn't quite see it. Seeing as you're your amen, and Yannick, this another perfect Eva here, but Yannick, oh my Lord. Wow, what a plan for salvation. The angels are stooping down going, this is incredible. Nev, the plan for salvation. This John, the plan for salvation. This is incredible. That the angels were stooping down looking and going, this is just amazing. We didn't see in this person what Jesus saw in them. So there's one angle that the theologians tell us. They stooped down, blown away. But there's another angle. They stoop down blown away because they're angels and haven't lived the earthly experience that Jesus did to understand the great need for salvation. We're talking about heavenly beings that are revolving around the throne, looking at the glory of God, not walking on a broken, lost planet in a place of brokenness and despair. And so the angels are stooping down going, Zach, you needed a plan of salvation because the devil was doing everything he could to rob it from you. 
The devil had a plan for you too. He wanted to steal your life. He wanted to rip you away. But Jesus saw something more because Jesus, the Bible says, was tempted in all ways as we are yet without sin. So let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, the writer of Hebrews tells us. Now the angels are stooping going, I don't understand why there's this great need, but we do. And Peter writes, understanding it. Peter writes it, being a big mess, being a guy that denied his very Saviour. And he understood what it meant when Jesus come walk to him. He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? He understood what it meant to be messed up. And so do we. The angels stooped down trying to work out. We know what it meant. We know that the week we just had was hectic at work. And I tell you, the process of sanctification was the process of trial that nearly sent me the other direction, not to holiness, but to middle fingers out the window and to want to strangle my next door neighbour and to want to punch out the guy I work with because he's an absolute loser. And the process of sanctification is trying to take us here, but the mess of our lives is trying to take us here. And we need the beautiful grace of God and His tender mercies to keep flowing in our lives. The angels stooped down, not quite sure. This is unbelievable. This is incredible. This plan was laid out for my life. Yes, it was. You sit in this room today because God laid out a plan for your life. And you responded. And the angels, the circle around the throne room right now are going, wow. 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 Verse 13, I'm wrapping up with this. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and rest your hope fully upon the grace of that is to be brought to you through the revelation of Jesus Christ. He says this, this beautiful outworking of grace in our lives, this beautiful outworking through the, the sprinkling of blood, through the rising from the dead, this beautiful outworking in our lives that the angels are just blown away by the power of what it means to your life, what it means through transformation. He says, therefore, listen, therefore is your part. Therefore, Zach, he's done such a great work for you. Therefore, Francis, he's done such a great work for you. Therefore, Gordon, he's done such a great work for you. Therefore, this is our part. This is what he says for us. He says, gird up your loins. You know, I read that and every time I read it, it just sounds like the weirdest thing, like pull my undies up. Like, what is that about? I'm not really sure. Go study that thing. Gird up your loins is the fact that these guys would have been wearing, not a pair of jeans, they've been, they've been wearing this, this dress-like thing. And the girding up your loins was to pick it up, getting ready to run, getting ready to do something, getting ready to go. The, the girding up your loins of your mind. Listen, he says this, therefore, because of the blood, therefore, because of the sanctification process, therefore, because of what God's doing in you, get ready to run in your minds and be focused on what Jesus is doing for you. Prepare yourselves. Be ready in your minds. Be ready in your thinking. Be ready in your believing. Be ready in what God is doing in your thinking. He says, and be sober. Listen, this is not talking about don't drink. That's not a bad truth to take on your life as well. It's not talking about don't be drunk again. If that's you in the room, let God just do something in your heart. He says, be sober. Be clear of mind. Be clear of thinking. And rest your hope fully on the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why are we going to celebrate next week? Because 
That grace is where we rest our whole lives. What do we do? What's our part of it? Prepare yourself, prepare your mind, prepare your heart to the work of His grace continually over your life. Bring your focus, sober your mind to what God wants to do in you, to what His grace wants to do in you, toward what His transformational power wants to do in you, towards what His beautiful work wants to do in your life. Prepare yourself. Let God work. In Jesus' name, let's pray as we finish here today. Holy Spirit of God, we thank You right now for Your beautiful Word, the power of Your Word, the transforming power of what it means in our lives. Let Your Word speak to us. I pray even this week that we prepare our minds. We prepare our hearts. Even as we head into Easter, prepare our thinking around the great work that You continually do in our lives. The work of transformation, the work of sanctification, the work of renewing. And we praise You for it in Jesus' name. I know this message will keep speaking to you as you continue your day. So for more information about City Point West, jump on citypointchurch.com or follow our social media accounts, Instagram, City Point West, or our Facebook, City Point Church West. Have a great day.